Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, but not as regularly, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you, James, and welcome back. Goodly morning. It's great to be back. It's great to be back. I must say, I've been listening while I've been away. It's great, this podcast, when I'm not on it. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you've got to you've got to uh, deal with the competition now. Step up to the plate. You know, That's it. The, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Absolutely. Um, you know, can I, I, I've got my opportunity now. Can I do enough to retain my place? We'll see. This is it. You never know when something might open up. Things change in the world of podcasting very quickly. You just never know. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. So you had a you had a month away. You had a I trust a, a very nice trip. It looked like you were having a nice trip. Um, I mean, everything looks nice on Instagram, doesn't it? That's easy. But no, it was uh, <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, I mean, oh, it wasn't without its uh, you know it, its occasional problems when you're travelling mm. for a month and when you're me, you will encounter some difficulties. Yes, I did um, notice that you 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 put out a plea on Twitter. I thought this was the most Gunner blog thing of all time. Halfway yeah, through I, I, holiday. Yeah. Uh, is anybody an ear, nose and throat specialist out there? I'd like some advice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did. I quickly deleted that because what happened was I said, my DMs are open, you know, get in touch with me. And I just got a stream of people just, you know, sending me fake advice, basically, <laughs> or telling me where to go. So I was like, oh, I'll delete that post. I did have one guy get in touch. He was very helpful. But the reason I was asking is that, I mean, if you think that Arsenal came out of January quite well and you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. James was on holiday, having a good time. And yet, you know, Arsenal kind of did okay in the transfer window. Don't you worry. I was doing my bit for the team. Four weeks ago, I got on a boat for six hours. And for the four weeks, well, three and a half weeks subsequently, I have felt exactly like I'm on a boat on land. It's the most surreal thing i'm not honestly i'm like sylvan wiltor just running in circles all the time i can't you still got it yeah yeah it's it's i mean genuinely this this isn't a plea but if there's anyone out there who you know has experienced this do get in touch because it is surreal i did see i was fine go on yeah yeah no no i was fine on the boat came off the boat was fine for an hour and suddenly i was like oh i'm on a boat but i'm not on a boat i'm on the land wow it's like being a sea captain at all times it is exactly like that. I mean, there are people who get it who've been on cruises and they're like, I love it. I love it because it makes me feel like I'm back on the cruise. And I'm like, I don't want to feel like I'm on a cruise. I want to feel like I'm on the land. <laughs> um, but anyway, we, you know, we'll see. I've been told to give it time by a doctor. Yeah. But just be glad that, that I'm, uh, 
you know, I, I did my bit and now I don't know. Will I ever will I ever sprint gazelle like again? Time will tell. Well, I hope the world is not denied the wonderful side of you <laughs> sprinting like a gazelle. I did see people say to you, yeah, that's happened to me, but it kind of wears off after a day or two days. Yeah, and here you are, three yeah. and a half weeks. The, you know, there could be something really wrong there. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, don't mean to worry you, but like, maybe, no, maybe there's something in your inner ear. You, have you, did you get your ears flushed out? Did you try that? No, well, no, I didn't. I went to a doctor yesterday, and he was like, You've, "It should have gone away after a few days." And I was yeah, like, I know I'm that doctor. Yeah, I fucking know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I'm James from Gunnerblog. You don't understand." And he was like, "No, oh, I see, I see." And then he was like, "You've got to give it a couple more weeks." But it is a, it is surreal. It, it does exist. It is a thing that exists. Um, but it only happens to very unfortunate people. What uh, is it like when guy, you go to bed at night? Is it? Are you? Just it's like being in a hammock. It's like being in a hammock. It's. It is. It's like being gently rocked to sleep, like a baby. Oh my god! You've it, invented the land hammock. Yeah, it's, it's. It's also like. Have you ever slept on a waterbed? No, because I'm not a 1970s Lothario. No, my grandparents had a waterbed, actually. It was very strange. I, I couldn't, you know, get my head around it. I was very young at the time. But um, I, uh, yes, it's very much like that if you've ever lain on one. Or, yeah, hammock is a good description. It's wow. literally like the room bounces side to side. I mean, I'm unsteady on my feet. I'm like Shkodra Mustafi. But, <laughs> you know, apparently the brain is very clever. It should work it all out soon enough. You'd think it would be enough time, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would think. You would think. Anyway, um, well, look, I hope it does. I hope it does sort itself out, and I hope you uh, obviously find some equilibrium Thanks, again soon. That would be that would be very welcome, I'm sure. Um, well, have Arsenal found some equilibrium? That's the question. Well, this is the, that is the big question, and you know what? Uh, I don't have a fucking clue where to even start <laughs> with what's going on and what's gone on since yeah. you've been away and since... The January transfer window opened. It is, by any standards, a remarkable month of action, particularly when you consider Arsene Wenger is a manager who says, you know, I think they should close the January transfer window. It's so destabilizing for clubs. You know, it should be closed and clubs should deal with it. You know, and there's logic to that. There's actual logic yeah. to what he says about closing the January transfer window. But this time around, he's gone, fuck it. We're going all in here, folks. Now trying to make sense of how everything happened and why everything happened uh, is not easy. Where, where do you think we should start? I suppose the first pieces of the jigsaw were um, Coquelin and Walcott were sold. Coquelin was the first out the so door. so long ago. I, I barely remember it. Um, mm. Yes, Coquelin went to Valencia. Terrific move for him. And I guess... I, I, you know, my, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this. I, I know you've talked about this on the previous weeks, but my kind of interpretation of that is that it's one of those moves to make way for a younger player, hopefully to mm. give Ainsley Maitland-Niles some of those opportunities in the middle of the park. Yeah. Um, but that, that brought in £12 million and Theo Walcott brought in £20 million when he went to Everton and that wasn't a surprise. Uh, we we mm -hmm. kind of had an idea that Theo Walcott would go, but we didn't necessarily think that... All three of the players who scored 60% of our goals last season would be sold by the end of the month. Um, we, we, had the, we had the Alexis Sanchez situation. Obviously, we were, I suppose we were expecting him to go to Manchester City. And then United came along and I didn't really think 
that that would happen for various reasons. I just, you know, I couldn't get my head around that. But obviously it became clear that uh, that that was what was going down. In the circumstances, what's your thoughts very quickly on Sanchez to United and Mkhitaryan to Arsenal? I mean, truthfully, I, I loathe it. I loathe seeing Sanchez play for United. I mean, it was quite funny in a way in play yesterday because he was doing that expression that he did so frequently in an Arsenal shirt of sort of mm. kind of consternation and wondering what was going on. I mean, I didn't enjoy the Spurs winning element of it, but who no. what's not to like about a thunderous Phil Jones own goal? Um, but yeah, I, I I can't really... I'm absolutely gutted that he's gone to United. I can see the sense of getting a player... You know that we that we would have had to spend I don't know thirty or forty million pounds to get in exchange, um, but it still doesn't quite sit well with me. And I understand wanting to put the positive spin on it and be like, look, he was going to go sooner rather than later, and we got a player. But United, United hurts me much more than City would. Mm. I know it's not the same for everybody, but yeah. I think given the history, given the manager. Um, given the fact that they're almost in closer competition with us at the moment. You know, City are so far ahead. United are almost part of that kind of mini league behind City. It, you know, it feels like strengthening a more direct rival. So, yeah, yeah not not chuffed with that one. <laughs> OK, that's fair. I mean, look, I could, uh, in the circumstances, uh, I, I don't want to excuse the circumstances. I've said this before. I think probably Mkhitaryan for Sanchez is, is better for us than £20 million for Manchester City even if it does make sure. United better. Um, but like you last night, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed watching them being terrible. Um, you know, I, I've got to find my pleasure in other people being terrible rather than us being good at the moment. Um, so so there you go. But anyway, that one got done. And then there was talk of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and it was a deal that first came to light um, maybe two weeks ago. Um mm. And, the, and I was dubious then. I, I found that, I was like, I can't see that. Can't a lot of people were cynical, spending. of course. They were thinking, you know, had we just lost a game? It's probable we just lost a game. I can't remember um, why it came out or what the stories were around the time that we, uh, around the time that, that that story first came out. I'm just going to look it up here a little bit because that would just uh, provide me with a bit of context. Um, boom, boom, boom. When did the Obama Yang thing start? After which game, people will be sitting here shouting at this podcast. Bournemouth, I think after Bournemouth, didn't it? Um, uh, we, lost two, right. we lost 2-1 to Bournemouth. Freed from the, the yoke of Alexis Sanchez, we played uh, liberated and, and ran carefree through the wilds and lost 2-1 uh, to, mm. to Bournemouth. And then the Obama Yang story broke and everyone went, eh, this is just them, you know, cynically uh, playing with our, our emotions and uh, putting a transfer story out there that, that's got no basis in reality. Obviously, as it turns out, it did. Um, and the story when it broke didn't come, let's say, from the Arsenal end. It came from from other sources. But that was January the 16th, I think, when that story um, first emerged. And we got it done on January the 31st. And because of... Okay, let me ask you first. Are you happy with the signing of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? Yes, I am. Mm. I am. I think... I think it, it, you know, part of the reason I was cynical about it was that it seemed somewhat uncharacteristic to sign a player, uh, partly of that age, uh, and secondly, uh, having spent, you know, a club record fee on a centre forward in the summer to go and do so again a matter of months later, I was dubious about whether or not Arsenal would, would 
pulled the trigger on that one. But he's obviously a fantastic player. You know, he's obviously one of the world's best strikers and his record is absolutely outstanding. So I think you have to be pleased that he's going to be wearing an Arsenal shirt for the second half of this season and beyond. Right. But in order to Mm. get the deal done, we got caught in a transfer merry-go-round which Very involved so. uh, Michi Batshuayi going to Dortmund. Chelsea wanted a replacement. Chelsea have been after a striker, any striker. Just think, Andy Carroll's injury has cost us Olivier Giroud. Think about that. I in know. some ways, you know, know, it's just the way the cookie crumbles and the way that things line up. But, you know, I can't help but wonder why or what might have happened if we had done the deal with Dortmund a bit quicker than we did. You know, we sent yeah. Ivan Gazidis and Sven Mislintat and Husfami. They went to they went to Germany. They made sure they were seen in Germany. They made sure their picture was in the paper in Germany. As you know, you can speculate as to why that is, but um, I, I'm told that's very much the case. That it, it was very deliberate that those photos emerged. Um, right. And Dortmund weren't happy with the offer that we made. In the end, we made the kind of offer that was more or less what Dortmund were looking for in the first place. So if we'd done this deal a couple of weeks earlier, would we then have been able, let's say, either to hold on to Olivier Giroud or or not get caught, certainly, in a, in a situation whereby if we wanted Obama Yang to happen, we had to help Chelsea, which I think is what's happened. Well, that's it. I think if Obama Yang was coming in, I think there was always going to be a risk that Giroud would go because... You've got four potential centre forwards in the squad at that point. You've got Aubameyang, Lacazette, uh, Welbeck, and Giroud. Mm. And, I, and I just think that although Welbeck, you know, can play in other positions, I just think that's probably too many for balance at this stage of the season. I mean, being honest, Giroud isn't necessarily the one of that four who you would want to get rid of at the moment. I mean, Danny Welbeck's having a torrid time, and much as I love him, I think it is becoming increasingly difficult to kind of justify. Mm this big new contract they're talking about for him. Um, but yeah, I think if we'd maybe paid the money for Aubameyang up front a little bit quicker, it might have cost us financially in terms of doing that deal more expediently, but it might have enabled us to, if we were going to let Giroud go, let him go somewhere else. We have, unfortunately, in this window, given a player to United, a player to Chelsea. And I mean, it, 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 it's, it is... Uh, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, doesn't it? In what is generally quite a positive window, that's the definite downside. Yeah, it's a bit bittersweet, obviously, when you lose someone like Giroud. I I would really have had... I would have liked to keep Giroud, generally speaking, but if he decided Mm. that he was going to go to to Dortmund as part of the Aubameyang deal, and you were told, in order to make Aubameyang happen, Giroud has to go to to Dortmund, I would have taken it. And I don't think I would have had much of a problem with it, you know, beyond um, the sort of great plan B that he gives us. Um, he's certainly not a plan A and hasn't been a plan A for a while because Arsene Wenger hasn't used him in the Premier League at all. He's just started one game. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, quite a bit of it has got to do with the destination, right? It's to do with where he's gone and who they are. And nobody uh, in their right mind could enjoy seeing a popular player like Giroud go to Chelsea. If it was an absolute wanker of a player, you don't care where he goes. But Giroud is is a very popular guy. I think he's been a great player for us. Um, you know, he's been criticised and at times uh, you, you can understand the criticism. At other times, uh, I think people have... Mm maybe overlooked the fact that he has been played into the ground. He's been expected to be a player that he's not, 
or to be more prolific than he actually is. And if you just look at him as a, you know, seven and a half, seven, seven and a half out of 10 player who's consistent, who will give you 20 goals every season, there or thereabouts. And to have a player like that in your squad is a very valuable thing. Um, and I'm yeah, not I sure. Yeah, role evolved. Yeah, isn't it? and 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 as it did, I think he became more popular because I think that really is what he was best suited for, being a kind of alternate option, someone who could really influence and change games, particularly in those latter stages. But I think even when he was a starting striker, you know, we were frustrated by his limitations. But um, you know, he, he he did do a decent enough job there. It wasn't his fault we didn't go out and get an Aubameyang four years ago. No, know? exactly, and it wasn't his fault that he was at times played to the point of absolute exhaustion. Because simply because we did not have anybody else who could play in that role. We didn't have any well, backup form and we didn't have... Yeah. yeah, exactly. At one point, Yaya Sinogo, with all due respect to him, was the backup or was the replacement for Olivier Giroud. And, you know, yeah. whatever you think of Giroud, there is a massive gulf in quality between those two players. Um, That's right. I mean, other alternatives to him, you know, Jovino got a run, didn't he? At centre there was never proper competition. Theo Walcott had his like audition yeah. at centre forward for a little while, and uh, Alexis played there for a little while. But you know, yeah, it was a huge burden of responsibility on Giroud, and for the most part, he he did shoulder it well. And I think he, I think he also adapted well to to English football. His first season was a little bit tricky at times. He wasn't as physical as you would like. But I think he improved in that respect. And I mean, Chelsea have got themselves a good player and I, I guess it's a move that suits him too. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start a lot of games for them between mm. now and the end of the season because, you know, I think Morata's a very good player, but Giroud's a ready-made Premier League striker, isn't he? He knows the league. He knows what he's doing and he, he's, he's sort of got an excellent goal record at Arsenal too, he leaves with. So, yeah, I think it's a good signing for them. But But what I would say is, for context, we have to remember this is a player that we were contemplating selling to Everton or West yeah. Ham last summer. Uh, and I think that in the circumstances, which is kind of the big kind of inverted commas thing that hangs over this entire podcast and this entire transfer window, we had to get that Aubameyang deal done for mm. a lot of reasons. Yeah. It had to get over the line. And, for, and Giroud, unfortunately, was kind of a necessary sacrifice on the altar of that particular transfer. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there's a lot more to the Aubameyang signing than simply bringing in a good player because uh, it is a statement when you go out and you spend that much money on a player as good as he is, who scored as many goals as he has. You know, you're saying, okay, we've lost Sanchez. We've lost a, a, a brilliantly productive player, a guy who got us 30 goals last season and 15 assists. Um this is what we're going to do to replace him. This is how we're going to replace him. We're not just going to look for an internal solution or revert back to uh, tried and tested methods like Giroud, for example. So, from that point of view, it's a good, it's a, it's a positive development. It obviously means something to the other players in the squad as well. Um, you know, when they see the yeah. club acting in that way and bringing in players of that caliber and stature, and I think there's no doubt in my mind that Mesut Ozil's decision to sign a new contract was in some ways based on the fact that we brought this guy in. Like, I couldn't see I, think, I couldn't see yeah. Ozil sign a new contract if we'd said, OK, well, now, Danny Welbeck, it is your time to shine. You know, no, <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. No, I think it does feel linked. It does feel linked. And it's, 
I don't know. I mean, there's sort of bigger talk, isn't there, about like the kind of culture of the club and the types of players we're bringing in. But, you know, we've got a German international who's set to sign a new long-term contract to become the kind of big figurehead of the club. Then we've got two of Germany's kind of best pl- players of the fi- last five years, for the Bundesliga rather, not German internationals, coming across. There's been a big influx from the Bundesliga. If you look at our recent transfer history, I know Mkhitaryan wasn't direct in that respect, but... It does feel like the this club is and the team is maybe being set up at last, maybe to be what Urzel needs it to be. And, mm. and I, yeah, that's terrific news. I mean, it, it was a real surprise to me on the day. There'd been a bit of chat about it in the morning, but for for that to be confirmed by the sources, it was confirmed by it was a huge, huge lift. I'm arguably greater even than the Aubameyang signing. What would you? Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a huge blow for Arsenal Football Club if both Sanchez and Ozil had left. Huge. Yeah. I don't think you can really uh, underestimate the damage it would have done to us reputationally to have brought these two guys in, to have um, presented them as players who are part of a new generation at Arsenal, a new way of doing business. This is the the transfer uh, sphere that we can operate in now. And then four years down the line, you've lost both of them for free. Like whatever about selling them, but for free. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's great news. It really is great news because, again, like the Obama Yang signing, it will help convince players we want to keep that this is the place to be, and it will also help convince players that we want to attract that Arsenal is a decent place to be. Come and play with Mesut Ozil. Come and play with Mkhitaryan. Come and play with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That is very different from come and play with Granit Xhaka. Come play with Danny Welbeck. Come play with, um, I don't know who the fuck, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and that's not to denigrate those players, but when you're talking about wanting to attract top talent, th- those guys aren't going to do it for you, whereas these guys no, are. I mean- and I, I'll be honest, I, I was not confident on the Ozil thing. I mean, at the start no, of the season, either. I considered both him and Alexis gone. It was a question of when. Uh, and I always thought Ozil was the more likely to kind of see his contract out, to run it all the way down. Because I thought, I don't know, that he might have certain destinations in mind. Uh, and I think something must have changed, genuinely, because he's had so much opportunity to agree terms with Arsenal over the past 18 months. For him to do so at this point... I don't know. It feels like something has shifted. I don't know if it's just his, the way he's observing the behaviour of the club or something he has been told. Or mm. I don't know. It does feel like there must have been a shift for him to go, no, do you know what? I'm going to do it. Another factor might be that they were able to throw more money at him, having lost Alexis and not and giving up on extending that deal. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, I think money's a part of it. Of course, money's a part of it when you're 29 years of age, 28, 29, you're going into your last big contract. Why wouldn't money be a part of it? But like you, I was... I was vaguely hopeful over Ozil, but you know when you when a player is less than six months of his contract left, you're at the end of January. You know something's got to happen soon, or it's never going to happen. And uh, you know if we talk about money, Ozil could have made more. I think if he'd run his contract down and gone on a Bosman in the summer, um, mm. you know that that's inarguable. I think, um, like you though, I I, I do feel like maybe something has changed or there's an awareness that some things are going to change um, for him to commit the more or less the rest of his career or the best years of his career to Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, And look to an Arsenal side that for all the excitement of new transfers is a bit of a mess. 
it's really struggling in the league. The manager is struggling to get his team to play with any cohesion, with any fluency, with any consistency. We can all see it. Don't think that the players don't see it either and aren't aware of it. Mm. And if we harbour doubts over Arsene Wenger's ability to turn things around or to to build a title-winning side, you can be quite sure that some of the players do as well. Alexis Sanchez certainly did, right? And he's gone. He wanted to go because of that. Not just because of Arsene Wenger, I'm saying, but just because um, because of his desire to achieve things from a footballing point of view. Now, I don't believe the Mesut Ozil, a player of his quality and his ability and intelligence, is just going to sign on to Arsenal for another three years, three and a half years, just because we've been able to offer him more money. I think he's got to have been convinced by things that could happen or will happen in the near future that will allow him to realise some of his football ambitions. I I really hope so, because obviously what you read a lot of the time about Ozil is he loves his life in London. You know, he's very comfortable. He enjoys the city. He likes going out. And that's all well and good. And I appreciate people have a life outside of their work and that's important to them. But as a fan, that's not an inspiring reason for someone to sign a, a three and a half year deal. You want it to be because he really believes that his ambitions can be fulfilled at Arsenal. Yeah. And I just hope that I just hope that something has changed I mean that that makes him feel that is going to be the case I mean and I think the elephant in the room that we're not really talking about is the is the manager isn't it I mean I suspect he knows that during the duration of that contract at some point the likelihood is that Arsenal will get a new manager and, and who knows what that might do for the team yeah absolutely it's when that's going to happen not if that's going to happen you know that's not yeah. even that's not even a thing. So, so look, you know, from that point of view, yesterday was a really good day. We've we've signed a brilliant striker. We've uh, uh, re-signed our our uh, a key playmaker, a key creative force in the team, and a player who you know I just think would it would have done so much damage to us if if he left or if he decided to yeah. leave. Um, you know what it would have said about us as a as a club and our prospects as a team would have been, you know, very, very difficult to deal with. Um, but, you know, what's, what's I think, obvious is that we are, we are going through a rebuild, right? We, we, we've, we got, we've got the backroom stuff going on, and we've talked about that before, James. We've talked about um, uh, the director, the not director of football, he starts – uh, work today officially February first. Sven Mislintat mm-hmm. very very much involved in the Obama Yang thing. He's head of recruitment. More, more involved in January than could possibly have anticipated. If you if you look at the signings that we've done, you know Mavropanos, obviously the centre back was one of his completely his really, mm-hmm. uh, and then his heavy involvement in the Obama Yang deal. And one suspects probably in convincing Mkhitaryan to swap United for. Arsenal. I mean, he's wielding big power at the club, far mm. more, I think, than anyone could have anticipated. Um, yeah, and we've basically torn up our attacking system, our attacking options. Walcott's gone, Giroud's gone, Alexis Sanchez is gone. Three uh, stalwarts of the side over the last three or four years. They're all gone. They're gone within the space of two weeks. It's remarkable. Um, so we're we're rebuilding now i think there is an element of improvisation to what's happened this month i think results have been bad form has been poor 
and there's an element of, well, we've got to do something. We've got to do stuff. So let's do what we can and let's see what's out there and let's let's see if we can make a, a sow's purse out of a pig's ear, right? Uh, and I think in yeah. those circumstances, we've done re- really quite well. Mkhitaryan's a really good player. Aubameyang's a great player. We've signed Ozil. Um, people might have question marks over the, some of the sales of, of Walcott and Giroud, for example, but were they guys for the future? Was it time maybe for Theo Walcott to move on? I think it was. Olivier Giroud, as I said, it's Chelsea more than him leaving that that bothers me. It's not so much him leaving, but where he's going. So if you can separate yourself from that a little bit, uh, you, you can see maybe the rationale behind it. Now, the bigger question or the big question is, let me ask you a couple of questions, right? Go on. <laughs> the, the transfer outlay this month was about £57 million. The transfer income was about £50 million. Where do you stand on the idea that for £7 million, Arsenal have done all that business this month? Is it more evidence that we don't spend enough money or is it evidence that actually for £7 million, we've done pretty well? I think it's pretty good business. I mean, there's probably more money in the coffers to spend and what we've done is kind of balance the books. But I think that's what we haven't done well enough. We haven't sold players at the right time in the past. We've not recouped cash for players who are no longer, you know, first team regulars. We've managed to do that to an extent. Some would say we could have got more money for some of those players, but I think we did okay uh, for Walcott and Giroud, given their their age and their contract situations. I think we did all right with the, with the fees for those guys. And um, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's I think it's decent business. What I hope it means as well is that there's some powder being kept dry for the summer because yes, we are going through a rebuild process, but that rebuild process is far from over. Mm. Now, here's the other question I have for you. Given that we seem to have decided that we've got issues and we needed to address some of those issues, were you surprised that we didn't sign anybody for midfield or didn't do anything to to sort out our midfield? Uh, And also the defensive options that we have don't seem to be that convincing at the moment as well. So were you surprised that more wasn't done in those areas? I was surprised. I was surprised. I I mean, the the way I feel like the defence is that it's not strictly a personnel issue. Like, I think if you sign uh, Mm. Johnny Evans or David Luiz or Costas Manolas or whoever it is, I think the structural organisational problems at the back are kind of so entrenched that you're really hoping just to put a sticking plaster over it, but there's absolutely no guarantee it would work. Mm. Midfield, I think, is a personnel issue. And I must say, when we were linked to this guy, Max Mayer, is it, of Schalke on the last day, who's kind of a a guy who was playing as number 10, now playing as number six. Perfect for Arsenal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because we've got Um, every number six we have wants to be a number 10. Yeah, I, I was thinking, oh, that might be a nice deal to do, you know, to kind of balance the midfield. So I am a little bit disappointed. I think in midfield, rightly or wrongly, Arsene Wenger is is looking at those kind of internal solutions. I think he's been as surprised as some of us probably by the form of Jack Wilshire. Uh, and I think the emergence of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, if he ever gets a chance in that position, yeah. might be a factor too, you know. But I, I, I would have liked to have seen something done in those areas of the pitch as well. I'm sure you would too, right? Yeah, I think your point about the defence being more of a system um, issue is is spot on. I, th- I think you can always improve in terms of personnel, but yeah. I think 
for me, the key the key problem, I've been harping on and on and on about it for 18 months now, is midfield, the centre of our midfield. Mm. It doesn't work. It's dysfunctional. We don't know who should play there. Um, we don't seem to have a partnership that works. We don't have a trio, really, that, that works. We've got players in there who are error-prone, who just don't really have the... What's the word I'm looking for here? They just don't seem to fit together. We've got a lot of square pegs and a lot of round holes. And the well, centre midfield doesn't work, and it hasn't worked really for 18 months, two years now. And I don't think that you can defend properly uh, as a team without your central midfield working in some cohesive manner, and ours just doesn't. So that 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 is a that's a real worry for me. That you know you can add all the goals. I, I genuinely think he's adding attacking talent to offset the defensive and midfield weaknesses. Well, I mean, yeah, the indications have been for some time now that uh, Arsenal struggles to balance his team. They're kind of one or the other. They're kind of able to defend, but not very inspiring going forward, or quite exciting to watch going forward, and and uh, <laughs> terrible at the back. And I think he's obviously going for that one in the second half of the mm. season. Fingers crossed it pays off. I mean, maybe Mkhitaryan will get a chance in the middle. I, you know, I envisaged him as a wide attacking player, but he came on as a central midfielder against Swansea and there's been some talk of using him there. It'd be interesting to see if that if that continues in any respect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's really hard to know, isn't it, what this Arsenal team is going to look like going forward. Mm. It's been such a dramatic reset. I mean, the January transfer window, I think, has been treated like a summer transfer window. I think they've essentially said, well... The first half of the season hasn't really gone as planned. We might as well hit the reset button and try something different in this half. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. And, you know, the only problem is we've got no pre-season to figure it out. We've got to do it as we go. We've got a game Saturday. Yeah, exactly. So, we've got to make it up as we go along, which is what we've, what we've done. But. That's what we've been doing for some time. I mean, it feels like we've been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, can, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What, do you, something that interested me at least what did you make of the age profile of the, the big signings Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang sort of 28, 29 you know not not in the they're not going to retain their value did you think that that's is that because it's a short term measure we need something that can make an impact absolutely straight away I was a bit surprised that we didn't go for younger targets yeah I, I wouldn't have been surprised if we'd asked United for Martial if if that yeah. was part of the the uh the Alexis Sanchez negotiation, they probably told us to fuck off. Um, sure. Watching Martial last night, I don't know why they did. Um, <laughs> he, he was strolling around uh, Wembley. So, yeah, maybe. But, you know, you've got players. 29 is not, maybe 29 is not what it used to be. Um, players are fitter yeah. and last longer these days than they used to. I think Mkhitaryan could really fit in very well. You know, he's uh, he's a very intelligent footballer um, and he is capable at 29 years of age of adapting quickly and settling into a new team and producing quickly, which, of course, we need. Same with Aubameyang. Um, I, I do think probably in the future we're going to start looking. I mean, there was a, a lot of talk about a, a Brazilian kid from Bordeaux called Malcolm, uh, who we didn't sign in the end. I think that's the sort of age profile of signing that we're going to start making. Um, perhaps as we look to rebuild midfield and defence in the summer, I hope. Um, 
those perhaps are the type of players that we're going to bring in. But no, I, I wasn't really bothered. It didn't really worry me if we're going to spend £55 million pounds on Obama Yang and we get nothing for him financially at the end of the deal. I don't care once we get goals. I think sometimes yeah. we get too hung up on what is the value of a player? Will he have sell-on value? You know, we, we view them often as commodities rather than assets uh, who can do things for us on the pitch that we need them to do. So if Obama Yang has three years, three and a half years of goal scoring, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I mean, United have signed Sanchez for, you know, that amount of money. Why? Because they're not worried about, you know, if they can sell him for 20 million or 30 million at the end of his contract. They don't care. They want what he mm. gives them on the pitch. And from an Arsenal point of view, I think it's about time we focused on that. So I don't I have think, any problem think- with it at all. I think that's probably right. And I think that as well, if you want to bring in those young players, be it Malcolm, be it anybody else, you need those tentpole players, don't you? That's why Ozil's extension is so important. You need guys who it's like, well, you can come here and, you know, you can play with these guys. And and I think that Aubameyang is in that category. Mm. You know, in Aubameyang and Ozil, we've got two top, top class stars, you know, big stars of world football. And, to be honest, I did not think we were going to be in a position come the start of next season where we had players with that kind of reputation and that kind of calibre. Mm. So it is a big positive. I know that there are things that were left unaddressed. Maybe we could have spent a bit more money in the January transfer window. But it, we're back to that phrase. In the circumstances, it was a, a hell of a save, I think, from Arsenal. And and who do we give credit for that? I don't who know. Who do we give yeah. credit for that? Is this... That's where it gets really interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people talking about Gazidis and, you know, the power plays going on behind the scenes. Again, it would strike me that if Arsene Wenger is going to go in the summer and if he has agreed that, you know, one year is all he was going to do to avoid the last year of his contract, all that bullshit that goes with it. Are you staying? Are you staying? What's going to happen? You know, et cetera, et cetera that if perhaps that's been agreed, then it'll it'll have been a bit easier for him to hand over some of the reins and some of the responsibility to mm. people like Gazidis because Wenger is maybe looking at a situation where, okay, they're going to bring these guys in. I only have to work with them for six months. It's yeah. the next manager that's going to have to deal with them. So maybe there's a, a, an element of ensuring that the, the, the players that are coming in are good quality. Certainly Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan are. Um, it's very clear that what happened with the delegation being seen, uh, seen in inverted commas, in Dortmund, that was that was not uh, an accident. You know, they weren't just photographed on one guy walking by, just got lucky, managed to photograph them by Obama Yang's car. Come on. You know, so... That does seem improbable. Yeah, it's it? completely improbable. Um, so... We're getting a public message from people at the club that, okay, we are the movers and the shakers now. And you don't have to um, be that wise to know that Arsene Wenger's time is limited. You know, he's 68 years of age. He's not the man for the future, whereas uh, Mislintat, Gazidis, this contract bloke, uh, the not director of football, you know, these are the guys that are going to be the future of the club. And yeah. at this point, you know, Wenger would look very foolish if he didn't get on board with that. Do you know what's interesting to me? And look, I, I know we live in a world of conspiracy theories and all that kind of bullshit, and I don't mean to buy into it at all. But in the announcement for Aubameyang, there was nothing from Arsene Wenger about, 
Um, we're delighted to bring Pierre to the club. He's a yeah. great player. He's a brilliant player, all that kind of stuff. I'm just checking the official website right now. Still no quotes from Arsene Wenger about the signing of Aubameyang. Now, maybe they've, they've got content that they want to, you know, uh, spread out over time, and it could just as easily be that. But I think there's something quite interesting about the fact that we do not have any line from the manager about the club's record signing. Yeah, and it's 24 hours bit. later. <clears throat> they did record a bit with him immediately after the Swansea game. I don't know if you saw, but they accidentally Oh, posted they put the wrong video up. That? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it was a very brief clip. And I have to say, again, I sort of sound a bit tinfoil hat here, but I, I do think that if you look at the signings this window, you know, um, the Greek boy, as Arsene would term. The Greek boy, uh, yeah, yeah. Mkhitaryan and then Aubameyang. The manager has been much less forthcoming in his public comments about them. I know in, in the Aubameyang case, that was partly because he was kind of wrapped on the knuckles by Dortmund, unfairly, I thought. Mm. Um, at, but, uh, but, you know, he's, he's not been particularly effusive when those deals have been announced. And I, I do think that, you know, I'm sure he's ratified these chances. I'm sure he said, yeah, they're a good player. That's fine. But it doesn't feel like the activity is driven by him. And that 12 months ago was, I think, completely unthinkable mm. at Arsenal. Like, I've never, ever seen Arsene Wenger, well, I suppose not since the days of David Dean, really, when, you know, you do hear stories about David Dean kind of turning up with a player for him. Mm. But I, ever since then, I've, I've never observed this. And I think, I don't know if it's something that Arsene was kind of asked to consent to, you know, when he signed his new contract, or it's just something that he accepts is an inevitability. But it's really important, actually. It's massive massive progress i tell you what else I think is progress and I know that it will stick in the craw of a lot of fans and it's a really unpleasant thing but Arsenal managing to do a deal however they managed to do it with Mino Raiola and sign a player from one of these sort of bastard super agents is again actually probably quite an important thing because it opens up a, a, a whole area of the transfer market that we've not been willing to get involved with before mm, you know yeah that's a fair point that's a fair point. And I just want to make it clear, just when I talk about, you know, uh, not hearing anything from Arsene Wenger, I don't mean that Arsene Wenger doesn't like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or doesn't want to sure. uh, work with him. You know, the, there's a picture of them at the training ground. They look very happy together. Wenger was a, was clearly a draw for Aubameyang because his father said that before the deal. So I don't want to play that down. I just mean in terms of how it's all being presented um, I wonder if it's being controlled a little bit in, in that way. So perhaps to reflect the, the shifting dynamic. But, you know, just something that's interesting. I noticed this here. We, we've kept the spreadsheet of uh, incomings and outgoings um, on the on the website. Myself and Andrew Allen uh, put this together that we kept since the last transfer window. I've just looked. Between senior players and youth players, uh, we have in the last... Well, since last summer, we have moved on 34 players and brought in five. So we brought in Lacazette, Kolasinac, Mavropana, Mavropanos, Jesus, Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang. Wow. We've really been going after the names. Paul Merson's going to have a stroke. (laughs) But... um, 
you know, look at who's gone out. Oxley chamberlain Chesney, permanent deal out. Gabrielle, Kieran Gibbs, Sonogo, uh, John Torral. Lots and lots of youth players have gone out. Coquelin, Walcott, Sanchez, Giroud, Emmy Martinez, uh, Carl Jenkinson, uh, Lucas Perez, Joel Campbell, uh, Chuba Agpom, the Jeff. You know, loads of these players have gone out. We have been kind of ruthlessly moving players on. Now, some of them obviously aren't permanent. Some of them are loan deals to, to get them out um, and get them developed as players. But there's a there's been a lot going on, clearing the decks in, in some regards. And I think so. And, uh, go on. I was just going to say, I think a lot of that is down to presumably realising the error of our ways as regards our salary model. You know, we, we we had to shift a lot of these players out in order to make room for the likes of Meza Ozil on a long-term basis. The kind of egalitarian wage policy left us with this enormous wage bill with loads of players who weren't really good enough. Mm. And I think we are beginning to address that. I mean, the consequence of it, you know, we talk about the number of players moved on versus the numbers come in, is that we now have quite a small squad, really, yeah. for, for a big Premier League club. Yeah, it is. It is pretty small. Um, it's not a squad that is going to withstand a lot of injury, so we need those players to um, to stay fit. But I think, as I was saying on the blog today, I think Arsene Wenger prefers a small squad, and I think the two yeah. squad system this season has not worked out the way we hoped it would. We thought it might create a competitive environment. Instead, what it's done has it's sort of prevented us building momentum and cohesion as a team because, you know, one game in the Premier League, you're playing this group of players and the next game in Europe, you're playing this group of players. So you don't necessarily get um, the ability to play through little periods of bad form, for example. So uh, uh, your Premier League team doesn't play particularly well, get them out in the next game and, you know, traditionally a Champions League game and they can maybe, you know, refine some rhythm. And we haven't had that this season. So maybe it'll suit us to have a smaller squad, but uh, it's, it's a risk because we don't have as much depth maybe as we would like. It is. And I mean, you know, we still have the Europa League to contend with, but... I I think you're right. Wenger does tend to fare well with smaller squads. And, and you know, for the most part, those players that we've let go just weren't figuring regularly enough to justify staying. So I, I'm not overly concerned about this, this, that at this point. I mean, mm. in a couple of injuries time, I will be terrified what, what, what remains of my hair out. Mm. But fingers crossed they can all stay fit. All right. Well, look, that was a... a- bizarre, strange, unprecedented January, and we are where we are now on the 1st of February. Um, very quickly, the Swansea game. Uh, yeah, God. You know, I don't, don't mean to bring everybody down or anything, but, you know, the, the reality of our situation is that we just lost 3-1 to Swansea. We're, we're on a high because of Aubameyang and because of uh, Ozil, but uh, that was a fucking shambles. Yeah, really bad. I mean, Swansea pff, uh, bottom of the league, weren't they going to the game? And I mean, we made them look a lot better than that. I, it's quite troubling. You know, I th- we'd had a good performance as well. Uh, who was that against Palace? You know, yeah. we really, uh, I saw that game while I was away and we, we were excellent in that first half. But it's these away fixtures. We just can't seem to cope on the road. You know, the teams play with absolutely no fear against us. They come at us, they attack us and we can't withstand it. So big problems there. And and I would just temper all the excitement about Aubameyang by saying this is a guy who is primarily a, a penalty box predator. Mm. And if we don't supply him, 
then he's not going to score goals. Yeah. You know? I, I think he's he's better tooled in some respects than Alexandre Lacazette to thrive in the Premier League. I just think he has enormous physical capacity that I don't think Lacazette can quite match. And I think that, you know, that will go in his favour. Mm. But it's, you know, it's... Uh, it's not. It's not going to be. A, it's not going to be some kind of panacea that immediately fixes everything. No. We, there are bigger problems in this team. So. Mm. He's got to find a way to make it work. You know, in midfield and at the back, because if we don't do that, we're not going to give uh, Aubameyang the service he needs. Um, big game on Saturday. Saturday, yeah, Saturday evening against Everton. Everton. So um, we'll we'll see yeah, what Walcott he's got coming off a brace. Yeah, exactly. Point. Well, look, you know, it just shows sometimes a player needs a change of scenery. It's good for the player, not necessarily a bad decision to sell him, but it's good for that player because things have gone stale for them at a football club. And, um, you know, maybe we've got one or two players like that um, who are still in the squad, but you could look at maybe Mkhitaryan as a player who could do for us perhaps what Theo Walcott is doing for Everton. You know, if we're going to get hung up on that, maybe it'll work the other way around. So look, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnar Blog and at Arse Blog and also on the Arse Blog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arse Blog. I was going to try and dig up some halftime uh, C sound effects there, James. I could play for you. <laughs> But uh, I, I forgot, sorry. It would really uh, set me off, set me rocking. Um, shall we roll on with questions? Yeah, let's roll on with some questions. Seeing as you've been away, you can go first. Oh, thank you very much. That's well, right. this one comes from Angus Kwong on Twitter. And Angus says, Are you worried that Lacazette will become another Lucas Perez followed by the purchase of Aubameyang. And John Grigsby asked a similar question. What does Aubameyang signing mean for Lacazette? I can't shake the feeling. This is the deal Arsene actually wanted over the summer and had to settle for Lacazette as plan B. What do you think this all means for Lacazette? I think it means uh, he's going to be on the bench, certainly in the Premier League. Um, Mm. I, I can't see a way of fitting all four of them in the team. Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang and Lacazette. I just can't see how we do that. Um, without completely exposing mm. our already underperforming midfield. Yeah. No, I can't see it. Yeah, I can't see it. So I think he is going to be on the bench. And to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of fine with it. You know, I think he's a good player, Lacazette, but 
he looks like a broken man, doesn't he? He looks like a player who is absolutely bereft of confidence, yeah. of self-belief, of form. There was of a moment pace. of pace. There was. <laughs> did you see that? Well, I mean, there was that moment the other day where yeah. there was a ball played over the top and Lacazette was chasing it down against a central defender. I think it was Fernandez. And, you know, maybe there's part of me that uh, has too much of Thierry Henry in my mind, but it was like, if that had been Thierry Henry and Fernandez in a foot race, Henry would have got there first. But Lacazette was completely mm. outpaced by this guy. And I thought when we signed him, I thought he was going to be pretty quick. And then I realized he wasn't that quick at all. And then I'm beginning to wonder, is he that much quicker than someone like Olivier Giroud? It's, it's, it is weird, isn't it? I yeah. mean, he, he does now, do you think he's injured? Or? I mean, one thing I do think is I think he might be exhausted, which seems Why? mad. How? Well, I know he hasn't played enough football, has he? But I just think that maybe, you know, Arsene Wenger has spoken time and time again about the need for him to adapt to the physicality of the Premier League. Um, and I did find it telling that the few quotes we have seen from Arsene Wenger about Aubameyang, I saw them, I think Arsenal fan TV had them on Twitter, I don't know where they got them from, were all about his athleticism mm. and his physicality. And I do wonder if if that's just the, the criteria where Lacazette is not delivering for Arsene at the moment. And, I, you know, he's just struggling with the, the physical side of English football. I think he's obviously a very accomplished technical footballer, but he's not making the impact that you would hope for from mm. a, a, you know, from a player with that kind of goal scoring record and with that kind of transfer. Yeah. Thing. I mean, I know the, um, the Swansea game, it's, you know, I become more and more, uh, reluctant to, to talk about players as individuals. Uh, yeah. I say that as I'm about to ask you a question in a minute about Granit Xhaka, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do feel like our problems are, more systematic than than individuals, right? But uh, if you're Lacazette and you know Arsenal are going to bring in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, when you're playing a game against a team like Swansea, look, I know he's reliant on service, and, and this is why you'd, you'd have some worries about Aubameyang, because we talk about Lacazette needing service, and we've never really given it to him. We've never really mm. given him the kind of service he needs, um, which isn't to to take away some of the other issues that he has with his game. But, you know, I thought that it would be a performance at least full of running and full of heart and full of, look, I'm here. Don't forget me. I know you're bringing in another striker, but I'm here and I'm, I'm not going to let you forget that I'm here. And there, there just wasn't. Now, it could be part of just the overall team malaise that is very difficult to raise yourself um, above the level that we're at simply because everything else around you drags you down. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a poor performance. And I think he's struggling. And I think if you were to say, um, realistically, is he a player who deserves his place in the team at this moment in time based on what he's given us? Um, what is it? One goal in how many how many games? I don't know, it must be going on for 10, mustn't it? Something like that. Yeah, you know, so you, you would say in any other circumstance, okay, he is a player who we need to take out of the firing line. He needs to refine some form. Yeah, it's one game in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games. So he's one goal in 12 games. Oof. Look. 
I mean, for any striker, yeah, Giroud went on a a long streak, didn't he? That people never let him forget. And, you know, he's got the goodwill of being a new signing and everything else. But I I think the reality is for Lacazette, he is going to find himself on the bench in the Premier League. In Europe, he's going to be required because Aubameyang is uh, cup tied for the Europa League ludicrously, given that he's not played in it for Dortmund, but the UEFA rules are fucking bizarre. So he's going to have to use the Europa League as a way of of reminding the manager that he's uh, he's got what it takes. But in the very yeah, short term, I, I think he's I think he's going to spend some time out of the team, and I don't have a problem with it. No, and I think you know the fact that we've got a fifty million pound striker starting our Europa League games is a good thing because that's a massive competition for us now, and he's got decent pedigree in it as well from his time with Leon. But you know, I think the top four looks really tough for us at this point. I think, like you know, in terms of probability, if you look at the stats and stuff, it's about a ten percent chance of us making it into the top four mm. right now. So, you know, I, I'm not particularly optimistic on that front. But the Europa League probably represents our best chance of Champions League football. So mm. that is still an important competition, and I think that's basically going to be his job between now and the end of the season, assuming Aubameyang hits the ground running. It's not. It's not a, a demotion either. It's an important job. Sure. You know, the, sure, the, but- the Europa League is is probably, uh, our, well, I mean, it is, uh, we've got the cup final, the Carabao Cup final against Manchester City, but, you know, Arsenal don't have a great record of winning European trophies and it would be a big thing for us to win a European trophy this year. So there's a responsibility on him in these games um, to deliver. Now, we've got a responsibility as a team to help him do that. But he shouldn't look at it. I don't think he shouldn't look at it as as something that's second best. In some ways, it's actually a real chance for him to to play these games while Obama Yang can't, and to remind Wenger that you know he's a player that that he should uh, he should stick around. And if we've got actual competition for the striking position, then I'm okay with that too. Sure, but I mean, I think it is interesting, isn't it, that we we did spend that amount of money on a centre forward mm. uh, in the summer. We've yeah. gone and done it again in January. I mean, in Alexis, we essentially lost a wide forward who scored goals, but that's not what we've brought in. We've brought in a guy who wants to play mm. through the middle, and I, I do think that suggests that maybe they're not completely uh, enamoured with what Lacazette's been been doing. Yeah, I mean, like, it is interesting. Like he, he I do feel like. He, you know, in the first few weeks, first few months at Arsenal, we talked about it time and time again. They're not finding his runs. They're not seeing his runs. They're not looking for him. And I wonder how much effect on his confidence that's had because he does look like he's gone into his shell a bit at this point. Mm. I mean, after six months, there's no excuse for not being aware of of what he is and how he plays and what he does, right? First couple of weeks sure. or first couple of months, you go, yeah, we're not used to that kind of a striker. We don't look for that early ball. But they know now. So they're either not playing to his strengths because they're being told not to, or the instructions of the team are something very different. The Lacazette is going to have to adapt to the way we play rather than we adapt to the way he plays, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 But we've brought in a, mm. we've brought in hopefully a better striker. So yeah. he's going to be starting. I hope, I really hope Aubameyang starts this weekend against yeah. Everton. I think it would give a real lift to everybody. Yeah, I agree. All right. Here's a question from George Pritchard, who is at geo underscore Pritchard on Twitter. And he says, seriously, how many more obvious defensive errors does Granit Xhaka have to make before he is dropped or sold? He clearly doesn't like or want to defend for this team. What do you think? I mean, I'm slightly at my wit's end with Shaka. And I have to say, 
it's so disappointing because you don't have to think back too far. If you think back to the FA Cup final and how well he played that day and his run of form going into that game, it really looked like he could become the kind of Cazorla successor, the mainstay of our midfield. And this season, he's just gone off the rails in catastrophic fashion. I mean, defensively, he's been absolutely all over the place. And what happened against Swansea, I found unforgivable. I mean, the way that guy ran off the back of him was just, it was pretty shocking. And and I feel like this season, there have been several goals where on the replay, if you watch Shaka, the way in which people just move off him in the final third, I mean, I don't know whether to put it down to unawareness or unwillingness, but it definitely, definitely warrants dropping. Mm. I think he should be. I think he should be dropped from the team at this point. Yeah. What about you? I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's unwillingness. I think it's just a general lack of awareness. He's just not defensively yeah. switched on. And you would ask, is he being taught that he needs to be defensively? switched on because there are countless examples this season of exactly what happened at Swansea happening before um, where players have run off him or he hasn't spotted the danger or he hasn't reacted to the danger. Um, so somebody could, you know, sit him down with a little scrapbook or a little video compilation and say, see this, this is what you need mm. to take care of. You need to look after this because it's hurting us. I mean, you go back to the first day of the season where we played Leicester and it was a poor pass from Xhaka that ended up with a goal. There was two or three occasions in the first few weeks of the season where poor passes from Xhaka ended up with the the opposition scoring goals. Now, there's more to those goals than him just giving the ball away, but he's a guy who, in the last six months, everything has started to go wrong for. You know, his form has gone out the toilet. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you when you say he could have been the midfield linchpin like Cazorla. I mean, I think his form wasn't bad, but... You always felt, well, certainly I always felt that he needed the right partner to be an important part of our midfield. And we haven't done that. We haven't found that. We continue to play him despite the fact we haven't found the right partner for him. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you when, it, when you say it's time for him to take a, take a spell out of the team. I think we have to. I mean, There's only so many times a player can make that kind of a mistake and keep his place because the message it sends otherwise is a really negative one. It's like, okay, you made a mistake. You're not learning from it. You made it again. You made it again. It's, it sends a message that there's no accountability for your performances in any way. And, you know, sometimes a player has got bad form. He'll make a mistake. And the best thing to do is to keep him in the team and let him you know, rebuild his confidence and let him address those issues. But when a player is incapable of addressing those issues, what you're doing is you're damaging the team. And I do think there's a need to do something different with our midfield. And I would be, at this point, uh, quite happy for us to return to a back four on a permanent basis and to use Ainsley Maitland-Niles in midfield alongside Jack Wilshire. Aaron Ramsey in a midfield trio, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think... And and just try something different. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, then the same thing is going to happen over and over again. And Arsenal, we are at the start of February, and Arsenal need a remarkable run of form if they've got any chance of getting into the back four. And we cannot put together that run of form if we continue to play 
players who a are are badly out of form, and on top of everything else, I think that's true of Xhaka. He's really out of form, and b we can't keep. Uh, persisting with this idea that we can just stick players in the midfield and hope that it clicks. It doesn't. It's time for something different. If we weren't going to address it in the transfer market, let's do the internal solution thing because what the fuck else have we got to try at this stage? I agree. I mean, it's telling to me that I think Schnacker's best game in recent memory was probably the, the second leg of the semi-final against Chelsea mm. when he was playing in a, in, in a very attacking role. I mean, essentially, he was like bombing forward, wasn't he, from central midfield because he had Elneny next to him covering him. Mm. I think that's the answer, really. I think you do probably drop Granit Xhaka, but I think you do have to put one of Elneny or, as you say, Maitland-Niles, give him his chance at the base of the midfield. And then why not try Wilshire and Ramsey together? I think Wilshire has made himself... I mean, undroppable. I think he's been brilliant. I think mm. he's been brilliant. But I don't think you should forget that in the first half of the season, Ramsey was pretty good too and put up some really good numbers. So yeah. if there's a way to get them in alongside each other, I know there's not a great history of that of that necessarily working at Arsenal, but do that. Stick one of Elneny or Maitland-Niles in as cover. Mm. I think they're more defensively aware than Shaka is and more inclined to at least stick to the task and follow their man where possible. I think that's, I think that's what was worth a go at this point and then you've got mm. you know three ahead of that probably Ozil, Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang so doesn't sound doesn't sound too bad I, I, I'd i love to see something like that against Everton um, Just while we're on the midfield I have a question here uh, before you get the next one from Noir Confidential who is at Noir underscore con and he says Alex Song is a free agent and currently training with Arsenal can you see us signing him on a short term contract similar to what we did with Saul Campbell? Uh <laughs> I can't, to be honest. I mean, I mean, there's part of me that can. You know, I probably never thought Matthew Flamini would come back to the club, and I was wrong. I probably never thought Sol Campbell would, and I was wrong. I probably didn't think Jens Lehmann would at 41 or something, and yet there he was playing against Blackpool. But uh, no, I don't think. I don't think that will happen. Even though he can play central midfield and and central defence, and would would plug a gap in the squad, it would have to take quite the injury crisis, surely, for that to be a thing. Hmm. Yeah, no comment from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, can you see us signing him on a short-term contract? Like, can, could could I see Arsenal do it? Yeah. yeah, I could. I could. Should they? Absolutely not. No way. No way. No, I would. I mean, I would. I, I, absolutely, honestly, I would rather see Maitland than I was giving a run in the team. Absolutely, Surely honestly, I'd rather bad. nail my balls to a table. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't be the most inspiring. I think it'd be a real downer after all the all the exciting news. I tell you what, this is a quick question on the exciting news that probably some people will be wondering. Jimmy, who's at Jimmy the Greek, says, "Why haven't Arsenal confirmed the Urzel contract extension? Any ideas? Um, content." Yeah, I would say spreading uh, the content out exactly. You know, they've got to make the video, do the whole all that kind of video stuff that that has to take yeah. place. Um, I think there was enough going on yesterday in terms of Obama Yang, in terms of everything else, and um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, it's clear that um, the information was given to to David Ornstein in uh, in some detail, you know, about when it was signed, where it was signed, et cetera, et cetera. So I, w- I wouldn't worry about it from that point of view at all. Yeah. No, I'm sure 
we'll hear something in the in the next few days. Mm. And uh, it makes sense, really, to as fun as it would have been for it to be. I mean, it was essentially a big kind of orgy of great great news, wasn't it? Because yeah. uh, you know, if it's if it comes to David Ornstein, it's, it's pretty much a banker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hundred um, percent. So yeah, terrific news. I mean, I'm looking forward. And Ozil himself hinted very heavily at it, didn't he, on his social media? So there you go. He did. This is how these things happen now. Yeah, you know. That's it. That's it. They make he put, little, do you know what he did? For them to make the little video. Exactly. What he did was he uh, he followed. Uh, a fountain pen manufacturer on LinkedIn. And that's how we knew he was going to sign his new deal. Uh, I, I must say, actually, speaking of like announcements and videos, I can't remember who said this. I think it was actually Red Action, you know, the, the fan support mm. group on Twitter, who said they they wanted Aubameyang's announcement video to him to be him just smashing a piano up with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I thought that would have been really good. Oh, <laughs> uh, Did you see... Um, these these videos, you know, we're we're still very much in the infancy, aren't we, of these uh, a player announcement videos where a club tries yeah. to do something yeah. really clever. Did you see the the Aston Villa one? I don't know if I did. Oh, let me just see if I can remember the player's name. Uh, what, is it very recent? Yeah, it was from it was from yesterday. And there's okay, yeah, it, it's a guy who I don't even know who he is. He's an Aston Villa. Maybe he's a journalist. Maybe he was just some random fucking dude. I don't know. But he's sitting there and he's got one of those Amazon things. You know what do you call them? Uh, Alexa. Um, oh yeah. So he goes, "Hey Alexa." which I hope is now sending off everybody's Alexas all around the world. Yeah. Hey, Alexa. (laughs) Alexa. Alexa. Um, He says, who does Lewis Graben play for? And Alexa goes, Lewis Graben is an English footballer who plays for Bournemouth. And he goes, are you sure about that, Alexa? And Alexa goes, Lewis Graben is a, uh, an English football player who plays for Aston Villa. And the guy just turns to the camera and gives this like cheesy fucking thumbs up thing. It's like, oh my God. Is the, we're in the infancy of this and some of them are going to be great and some of them are going to be really creative, but the scope for absolute shite is endless, James. It's endless. I know. I, I know. think... It's and a scary I'm, world. Yeah, I'm going to... I think uh, we should have a talk about this offline. We should set up a digital agency which is designed to make the worst player announcement videos of all time because those will be the ones that go viral. People yeah, will go, oh my true. God, I, this I, is fucking the worst thing I've ever seen. Everyone has to see it. And it'll just be, it'll be amazing. Maybe we're not giving Aston Villa enough credit. Maybe they're aware of that. You know, I, yeah. I, it is... It's a, a strange new element to football, but uh, it's, it's relatively entertaining. I thought Arsenal did a decent little job with Aubameyang, you know. And what about all the stuff about, hey... Yo, Pierre. Hey, yo, Pierre. You want to come Pierre. out here? What's that? The conspiracy theorists were right all along. It's mental, um, isn't it? Sometimes uh, I know. Twitter is sometimes Twitter is bananas. I was watching last night on Twitter, and I, if this guy is listening, I didn't respond to any of the tweets because it was just so absolutely ludicrous, the idea of it. There was a guy tracking a private jet which left Rome last night and supposedly landed in Luton Airport. And, the, you know, he was sort of convinced it could have been Costas Manolas coming from Rome <laughs> to do a last-minute deal to Arsenal. And this kind of... Uh, this. Twitter investigation, online investigation stuff is mostly bananas, but that one yeah. worked. 
That one worked. I mean, what's going on at Arsenal? Are Arsenal getting it wrong in the sense that they put out that video which allowed people to to hear uh, Mkhitaryan say, yo, Pierre, are you coming out here? Did they do it on purpose? Did they upload the wrong video the other night with Arsene Wenger talking about Obama? Is that on purpose? Are they do are they leaking these things to create buzz? What's happening? Is this a social media tactic? I demand to know. I demand to know. I demand to know as well. We've I don't care, actually. Actually, I don't care. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, you don't care. You don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember. I think it's your question. Oh, is it my question? Okay. I, so. I should. Okay. Yeah, I've got one here. <laughs> this is uh, in relation to stories this morning that Arsenal are targeting German manager Yogi Love to be mm. the next boss of of the football club. And uh, S, who is at Wood10 underscore, says, would you be happy if the next manager of Arsenal regularly picked his own arse and ate his shit on the sidelines? <laughs> 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 this is in relation to a famous um, gif or video clip of, of Yogi Love um, appearing to do just that during one yeah, of the tournaments. Maybe not befitting of uh, the man with the name Love, is it? It's you know not the most pleasant thing any of us ever ever seen on television. Um, would I be happy with that? Uh, I'd probably make that a condition of his contract that he tried to keep that to a minimum, you know, at least in, within the bounds of a technical area. Mm. In the privacy of his own home, he could do what he likes. Do what you like, but, exactly. Yeah. Not on the sidelines, for God's sake. I mean, it's, you know, it, it would it would really be <laughs> one step up from Arsene Wenger struggling with the zip, wouldn't it? It would just be... Well, that's taking it to a next level, isn't it? Oh, look, there yeah, he exactly. is. Eating his <laughs> He's own doing it again. Sh- He's eating his own shit again. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> the memes, the memes alone would be a real, a we, real problem. We will yearn for the days of a, of a zip. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to put him in a, a straight jacket, not alone. One of those. Yeah, so, more, yeah, no, I'd ask him. To- yeah, <laughs> ask him, please. Gosh. Look, look, if you are going to do it, stop talking, yeah. stop eating your own poo. But um, more, more, more <laughs> tunnel, yeah, at least. More seriously, um, um, as a candidate, how would you view him? Well, it's one that makes a sort of certain degree of logical sense, isn't it? I, I, I was thinking about this earlier in the do week, you and you know, so? it's t- well, I just wonder if. His time with the German national team, you know, has been successful and I think that will probably come to a close sooner or later. I mean, after the World Cup, potentially this summer. And then I think, you know, he's got a relationship with certain players, hasn't he? With Mustafi, particularly with Ozil. Um, I, I could see it. I could see it. And he's a big name, even though he hasn't... I mean, the real worry, of course, is that he hasn't got club pedigree. That is the thing for me that doesn't really make that much sense um, mm. about the deal. You know, he's he's obviously done amazing things for Germany at international level, but when is the last time he managed? Uh, when's the last time he managed a club? I don't think you can be out of Austria, club management. Austria, Vienna, two thousand four. <laughs> All right, fuck that. No way. No way. I don't think that's. I don't think he's the guy at all. Um, yeah. He'd, yeah, I mean, look, it would be a bit of a worry. His um, his uh, managerial career at club level, FC Frauenfeld, Frauenfeld, Stuttgart, Fenerbahce, Karlsruhe, 
Adanspor, Adanaspor, whatever that is, Tyrol Innsbruck, Austria, Vienna. Like he's never managed a big club. Never managed a club in the Champions League. Maybe Fenerbahce were in the Champions League. But he's only had like a year here, a year there, two years at Stuttgart. But it's all been like a year here, a year there sort of stuff. So, you know, leaving aside his tendency to uh, chomp his own feces on the sidelines, I just don't think he's the right man for uh, for this particular job, regardless of the German connections and everything else. Not for me. Maybe. But I, if you compare him to, say, I don't know, Mikel Arteta, for example, he's, he's never managed a, a club either, and yet his name seems to be... Sorry, uh, he hasn't managed a club at all, and his name seems to be in the mix. So mm. I don't know. I, th- I, I don't I, think Arteta's be... the right guy yet either. So you know, right? Well, I think that's fair enough. I think that uh, I, I don't know if Yogi loves the right guy, but I think that his name will be linked with it heavily. I, I just think that he's one of the obvious big names, like kind of like Ancelotti. Mm. There are certain names of a certain size that are going to get associated with this job increasingly as, as the season wears on. Mm. Um, and of course, ev- I mean, people say who would go into Arsenal. So many managers would want to, I think, come into the club. Who the fuck wouldn't want to manage Arsenal? It's a great job. It's a great job. Huge salary, mm-hmm. um, significant financial power, great stadium, some really good players now, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 to be honest, lowered expectations and a willingness to embrace the new. Like yeah. you would have such a groundswell of support behind any new man. Mm. That I think it's a gift of a job. To mm. be honest, another question. Yeah, why not? It's your question. Okay. Um, well, the big story of deadline day. This is white sleeves. Now that Matthew Debushi is gone. What happens if Hector gets injured? Um, I guess Ainsley Maitland-Niles is what happens. The man for all occasions. Yeah. yeah. Basically, our starting 11 uh, next week should be Maitland-Niles, 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 Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles, Maitland-Niles. is Maitland-Niles. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, if we, if we don't need him in midfield, then, you know, he seems the only obvious backup that we've got. Obvi- uh, Callum Chambers is a potential yeah. um, candidate there. But I think, you're, you know, we don't have an, a, a really clear backup for Hector Bellerin. You know, we've got Monreal, yeah. we've got Kolasinac, who is on the sidelines a bit as well. Um, so, yeah, so. I mean, Maitland-Niles seems to be, seems to me, uh, to be about the only one. So, I think, you know, he's, he can look forward to plenty of football in the second half of the season because, you know, I think he'll get, I think he'll get games at right back. He might get the old game at left back. I'm hoping he'll get games in midfield. So, yeah, big few months ahead for, for Maitland-Niles. Mm-hmm. It really is okay. Uh, one final question because uh, we we've got to wrap this up. It's been a been a bit of a long one. So an epic, an epic. This one comes from uh, Arsen Fanger out. I don't know what that means, but it's uh, at p underscore fan, and uh, he asks with Giroud now Chelsea's Chelsea's. He says, who becomes our most handsome player? Or have we left ourselves vulnerable here? Is there a handsome summer target we need to prioritise? Good question. Good question. I'm just having a look through the squad. I mean, the name that jumped out to me was Aaron Ramsey. I always think Aaron Ramsey's quite a handsome man. Mm. Is that? Is that yeah, fair? I mean, I think that's fair. I think that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable shout. I, I think there's something, uh, something about Callum Chambers as well. 
He's a handsome young yeah, man. Sure. I think as uh, as he gets older, yeah, as he gets older, mm. he's gonna he's gonna um, develop into his face, kind of. <laughs> if only he could grow into his face, how handsome he would be. Well, you know, exactly. Uh, he's got a nice beard, and uh, you know, he's he's nice cheekbones, good features, nice eyes, good hair. You know, it's all there for Callum if he wants it. I love that Olivier Giroud managed to get a, a, a quick haircut in between playing against Swansea the previous night and signing for Chelsea. It was a fake. Day, uh, it was a fake picture, I think. That picture oh. that was doing the rounds. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. Shame. That would have been peak I mean, I, Giroud. I, I right? want to believe it anyway. You know. Yeah. That would have been peak Giroud. I mean, I guess have we lost any any other lookers potentially? I don't know. Um, I mean, Theo Walcott had his his fans. Mm. Um, yeah, you could see why. Um, less. less so cocker, I guess, but I, you know, a, a handsome signing for the summer. It's, it's certainly what we should. I mean, clearly, what they've got to do is turn on the football manager filters. Uh, you know, yeah. for for a midfielder, defensive instincts twenty, you know, pace twenty, interceptions twenty, uh, handsomeness, nothing less than eighteen, hair twenty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's what they've got to do. They've got to get out there and find the right player for us, but also the right face. That's important. We've taken a bit of a hit in the handsome uh, department. And we've got to address that. We're Arsenal, after all. I agree. I agree. I'm just literally scanning through a list of supposedly the most handsome footballers in the world. Right. Who have they got? They've got Mesut Ozil at number three, which I I think something's gone wrong here in this list. Um, I, I mean, I love Mesut as a player, but uh, the number they've three got, most handsome player in the world is Mesut Ozil. They've got Giroud at eight and Ozil at three. I'm not sure who's compiled this list. Ander Herrera's at number nine. I think this is a bit of a dodgy list. I think a, a Mr. S. Wonder has put that list together. Yes, I'm not sure about that. I mean, Gerard Piquet is a very handsome man. I could, I would take him to sort out the central defence a bit. Mm. Yeah. He yeah. came in at number two or something on that dodgy list. Yeah, so, it's a dodgy yeah, list. Let's have Gerard it's Piquet. a dodgy list. Anyway, look, we'll leave that to the club. It's not our job. We're not paid £10 million a year That's- to source the most handsome players in the world. That's what we hired Sven Mislintat for. <laughs> exactly. Head of recruitment and hotness. Yeah. He'll find something. Yeah. He'll turn up. Anyway, the, maybe the, the new... new handsome yeah, thing. Exactly. The new director of handsome can uh, figure it all out. So that's his job. Exactly. We just sit no back worries. and watch as they sign someone who looks like Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, that was fun. It's good to be back. Welcome back. Glad to have you back. Um... If all goes well, ladies and gentlemen listening to this, there may well be another podcast tomorrow. Uh, if I can, Ooh. if I can get something sorted, which I'm trying to get sorted, but it doesn't depend on me. I'm available. I'm free, willing, and able to do it. But it depends on the guests that I'm trying to get hold of. If they can do it, then we may have another podcast tomorrow. If not, this will have to tide you over until Monday when we'll have uh, another Arscast extra. We'll keep fingers crossed for a win on uh, Saturday against Everton. Uh, so until then, take it easy. And uh, James, good to have you back again. Good to be back. Bye bye. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 